The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sometimes you have no clue how to respond to people when they say or do something awful. I address that and so much more on my other podcast, Love and Abuse, over at loveandabuse.com. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello, this is Paul Coliani, personal empowerment coach and host of this show called The Overwhelmed Brain. And this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. Everything I talk about on this show should not be mistaken for actual medical advice or treatment and is intended to be for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your medical treatment. All right, here in the U.S., we've had a presidential election. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk politics. (laughs) But I am going to address something that's been happening in the U.S., which is the contention, the fear, the stress, the anxiety, everything surrounding uh, this new president that we have. And, um, you know, this is this is my area. <laughs> this is where I go. I go with the emotions about the event, not the event itself. Although the event itself is uh, very important and it is changing things in this country already, or at least giving us uh, thoughts of what might happen in the future. And it is causing fear. And if you are feeling these fears there is something that I want to share with you. It's a parable, and it's from uh, Zen Buddhism. It's a, I think they call it a Taoist story. And the story is called Maybe. Now, you may know this story, you may not, but I'm going to recall it here. I'm going to read it on my screen because it is an important perception that I want you to keep in mind in the sense that you never know what's going to happen. And not knowing means you also don't know how bad or how good it can be or can get. For some people, they're devastated and they think it's going to get worse. For some people, they're elated and they think it's going to be fantastic. But it doesn't matter what side you're on because where we tend to go in our mind is a future that we are creating And either hoping that one thing happens or hoping that another thing happens. That's where we go. We go in the future and think about, well, you know, if our president does this, then my life's going to be ruined or my family's going to be separated or I won't have the ability to choose certain things anymore or whatever. We make up all these stories. Yes, there is truth because if the what if comes true, then we have to deal with it. But if it doesn't, do we really want to deal with the emotional impact that it's having on us? I mean, is it really necessary to be fearful and anxious about what might happen? Or even something that just happened recently, the travel ban. What happens if that goes through? Now, as of this recording, it has been uh, delayed or suspended or overturned. I'm not even sure of the term they use. So we don't have to worry about it right now. But it may come again. So even as this is recorded, by the time you hear it, 
something else might have happened. And then something else might have happened on top of that. And it could go on and on and on. So my focus is where do we go in our mind when these things are happening left and right and sometimes faster than we could ever have dreamed of and in ways that we wouldn't have ever dreamed of. I mean, things are happening now that are in our face. But I want you to keep the perspective that it's not necessarily true until it is. Because that's that changes where you go in your mind, where you are. Now, I'm not saying don't be an activist. If you're an activist, go out there and activate. <laughs> go out there and pick it. Go out there and whatever you need to do. If you're angry, then take action. Write to people in power and tell them how you feel. I'm not saying don't take action if that is your path, if that's what you want to do. Great. More power to you. All I'm saying is that if you're living in fear and anxiety and you're not sure what's going to happen, just keep in mind it's not happening until it's happening. So hopefully if you remember that, it's not happening until it's happening, that you don't have to live in stress and fear. Because uh, if you're in the U.S. or even in the world right now, I mean, the big stuff is happening in the U.S., but it is affecting the world. So I guess this is a worldwide consideration of everything that's happening in the U.S. It affects the world because policies are being written, rewritten, changed, and fears are kicking in, and we're not sure what's going to happen next. So with that in mind, I want you to keep this little story as a reminder that you never know what's good and what's bad. So this is a story of an old farmer who has worked on his crops for many years. And one day his horse ran away. You know, this is a long time ago. <laughs> Upon hearing the news, his neighbors came to visit. And they're like, oh, such bad luck. They were so sympathetic. They were like, oh, man, what are you going to do? Such bad luck. The farmer replied, hmm, maybe. The next morning, the horse returned, and he bring with him three other wild horses. The neighbors came over and said, how wonderful, look at this, what fortune. And the old man replied, hmm, maybe. The following day, the farmer's son tried to ride one of the wild horses. He was thrown off and broke his leg. The neighbors again came over, sympathizing on his misfortune. They're like, oh, we're so sorry about your son. How awful for him. The farmer looked at them and said, hmm, maybe. The day after, military officials came to the village to draft young men into the army. When they came to the farmer's house and saw that his son's leg was broken, they realized they couldn't use him, so they passed him by. The neighbors once again came over and congratulated the farmer that his son didn't have to go off to war. They said, what a blessing. The farmer said, hmm, maybe. So there you have it. There's a, an old Zen parable or Zen Buddhist parable that uh, really puts into perspective that everything that comes our way could be good and may not be good. And the idea behind the story is just to not put too much value in the things that are happening in our life. I mean, that's not a good way to put it. <laughs> I mean, we should value everything in our life, but don't put so much fear or worry or anxiety or even jubilation and excitement 
towards things because the world is ever changing. It's always ebbing and flowing. It's like a roller coaster sometimes. It's a matter of staying out of the extremes. It doesn't mean you shouldn't ever get scared or be in fear. It doesn't mean you shouldn't ever be excited. It just means you should keep an open mind, keep that perspective that what looks like a really bad thing doesn't always have to be a bad thing. And what looks like a really good thing doesn't always turn out to be such a good thing. But the good news is it cancels each other out. (laughs) Just like this story. It's like, oh, he broke his leg. But hey, he doesn't have to go off to war. And so the, uh, the neighbors thought that was a good thing, that he was blessed with fortune. So I see this story as a reminder that not everything is as it appears and that it's best just to focus on what we need to do for ourselves and keep moving forward, keep that forward momentum. And I like to think of life like this. For example, if you get a huge uh, windfall, you get a lot of money or you get uh, the best job in the world, it's not that something bad is going to happen. It just means you have to keep working at it. You have to keep going forward with it. You have to keep moving in that direction. Because if and when something that you don't like does happen, that you aren't floored, you aren't stopped in your tracks, and then suddenly you feel like a failure. You don't just sit down and take it. You just keep moving forward. It's like, well, it's bad now, but maybe it's going to be good later. It's like waves in the ocean. Some big, some small. But the ocean's always there. The current's always flowing. The waves are always hitting the shore. Life continues. And it really does make you resilient. It it makes you resilient and also, in my opinion, more optimistic. Because you know when you're in that valley, you know the fall, that the rise, the peak, is coming. So it's good to keep that in mind, that to have that outlook so that you aren't so attached to one path or another. Like so many people were attached to wanting someone else to win the presidential race. And then the people that voted one way got their way, and the people that voted the other way didn't. It's like the Super Bowl just happened. Everyone's so attached to their team, and then when their team lost, it's devastation to some people. It's like, oh no, I mean, there were people crying. (laughs) Why didn't our team win? But there's next year, and the year after. Life isn't over. Not yet. (laughs) We're going to keep going and things are going to change as they keep going. And if something happens in the world today that we don't like, maybe tomorrow it'll be different. And we just saw this with the travel ban. The travel ban was up one day and then a few days later it was down. It was scary. There were a lot of innocent people affected. Then it was repealed and then everything's back to the way it was. That's not to say that by the time you hear this episode, the order won't be signed again and something else will happen. But you have to take the ebb and flow and and just go with it and don't let it drive your emotional state. Your emotional state is what motivates you to do things, to think a certain way. And if you're always perceiving things as being bad and terrible and there's no way out, then I want you to think ahead. You know, the the strategy uh, in stock market, buy low, sell high. Your stocks are going to go down and they're going to go up and they're going to go down. Sometimes they won't come back up, (laughs) but the trends tell us that it's up and down. So that's all I wanted to share with this is just to give you a different perspective of uh, the things happening in the world today. If anything affects you, even if if the presidential thing doesn't affect you uh, directly, whatever happens in the world, whatever news that you hear, whatever 
information comes your way. Like I really thought that my divorce was going to be terrible and it, it was a world changer. It, was, it felt like my life was over. That was it. The divorce was happening. I can't believe this. Something that was supposed to last the rest of my life is now ending. This is terrible. Life is over. I don't know what else to do. It's never going to get better. But I was in the trough. You know, I, was, I was in that low point, not being able to see that a high point was coming out of it, that, that so many lessons were going to come out of it, and that I was going to be able to love my ex-wife again in a different way and see my own life in a different way and find out that there was actually a better path down the road that I didn't even know about because I was so attached to that one path. It really is about letting go of your attachment to an outcome, letting go of your attachment to wanting things a certain way. You let it go and you can live a little easier. Again, I'm not taking action away from you. If you need to take action, if you feel compelled to do something about uh, something you disagree with, then you might have to do that. You might have to run for office <laughs> if you want. You might have to, you know, write to your congressman or write to your heads of state or whatever they call them in different countries. And you may take the approach that you need to take. It's sort of like when I, when my wife and I got homeless. We were down to nothing. We had no food. <laughs> we had to go to the soup kitchen every day for several months just to eat. And people might look at us and go, wow, they're so they're in such a bad place. It's so awful for them. Yet a few months later, um, I got a job that uh, paid me more than enough to get us out of the hole. And I was able to save a lot of money. We were able to move and find a nice condo in Portland, Oregon and with a great view. And all of that stemmed from this place that most people think was bad. But I look at that and I go, that was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Losing everything was one of the best things that ever happened to me. So you know what? Maybe it's bad or maybe it's not. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back. This segment's called Ask Paul. This is where I read a listener email on the air and do my best to help them through a challenge or two. This is a uh, quick message that I got that uh, might be a little challenging for me to answer, but I think it's important enough that, that I address it because I'm sure... There's someone out there in a very similar situation or you've been in a situation where it feels like you have absolutely no choice and no way out and you know there's nothing you can do. I mean, talk about a challenge. There's nothing you can do. It's like you're a prisoner in your own home or in your own situation or at work. You feel like a prisoner. And that's where this guy is. Uh, I'll call him Jack. Jack says... I've got a story slash question for you. I have uh, Christian grandparents and they preach dogma as a prophecy. They're old school in their punishment and reinforcement. And their sons, one is my dad, are all depressed and down on themselves all the time with a lot of wasted potential and anger. On my mom's side, they're psychos. <laughs> Where there's been abandonment issues and uh, her sisters lived a tough life and they're in poverty. Now, my siblings and I are stuck in life. I have a condition, my older sisters have a condition, and I'm going to keep those conditions private because uh, just in case if someone knows this family. 
Uh, He says, we all know we have the abilities athletically and mentally, but the whole family is toxic and they all seem to be confused. There's constant arguments from the adult figures to the young adults. It's hell and takes an emotional toll every day. It's even worse than I described here. What do we do? I don't want to leave my sisters in all of this, but I have dreams and intentions. Any advice? Jack. Okay, Jack, that's a tough question because you're in a situation where it sounds like you are probably still uh, young. You're either in your teens or 20s, I'm assuming, and your siblings are, it sounds like they might be younger. Or you're in a situation where you have not been able to move out of the house for some reason. You're older. I'm, I'm not sure what age you are, but let's just assume that you have grown up in this toxic environment and now you want to get out of it. And like you said, you don't want to leave your siblings to all of this, but uh, you do want to leave. I can't give you a professional suggestion, but I can give you a personal opinion. Because, uh, you know, I grew up in a somewhat toxic environment. I mean, compared to yours, that's why I'm saying mine was somewhat. (laughs) I had an alcoholic stepfather and uh, being young and and feeling like uh, trapped in the house, but not necessarily... Like, I, I remember when I was 10 years old, I used to walk for miles away from home. I even threatened to um, run away from home before. I don't even know the reason. Probably because I was living with a, a scary person, but um, I don't remember. But I do remember wanting to leave the house a lot. And that's what I did. And uh, fortunately, my mom allowed it and... You know, unfortunately, that's not actually a good thing (laughs) to leave and go miles and miles from home. Like I would visit um, bowling alleys and arcades and I would just walk for miles or ride my bike. And then I would eventually come home, fortunately. But um, nowadays it's harder and harder to do that because there's dangerous people, not only sometimes in your house, but outside your house too. So you have to be very careful what you do. But uh, I'm assuming that you're old enough to leave. And you're choosing not to because you feel bad about your siblings. Uh, So let me say this to you. First of all, if you have the ability to leave, I, and this is my personal opinion, I would recommend that you do. Now, you may feel bad leaving your sisters behind, but let me ask you, can you get anything done while you're there Or would you be able to get anything done while you're not there? And what I mean is, if your siblings are really in a bad place and you were to establish a healthy and safe place for yourself, would they be able to move in with you? Or would you be able to get more means and resources for them to move out and go somewhere else? Or are they old enough? I don't know your whole story. But I do know this regardless of what I just said, that while you're in the environment, you are part of the equation, you are part of the formula that makes up the toxicity. Meaning, it's hard to progress and evolve while you're still in the fire. You know, we'll use metaphors here. (laughs) You could spray the fire off with water, but the next day you're on fire again. Because you're in it. You're always in it. And it's going to be hard to think clearly and straight while you're in it. So if you have the intention of moving out, because you do have dreams for a better life for yourself, 
and you also worry and want a better life for your siblings, then be the first to break out of the toxic environment so that you can lead the way. Because I can almost guarantee if no one leaves, no one will. If you don't leave, it won't give the incentive to anyone else for anyone else to leave. Because I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure that if you don't leave, the other people won't leave. And if no one leaves, then you're all in that toxic environment continually. So that's a personal opinion. I'm not saying that's my professional opinion. Professionally speaking, you know, I would explore, okay, how is this affecting you? Like, let's explore this for a second. How is this affecting you? Well, it's hell, you said. It's a, it takes an emotional toll every day. My professional approach to this would be, how are you resisting it? Because that's really what it comes down to is when our life is hell, it's usually something that we're resisting. I mean, you could even be resisting abuse. I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm saying that when you resist it, it usually feels worse. It usually gets worse. Your behavior is resistant, which is sensed in those other people, abusive people or what you call psychotic people or mentally unhealthy. If they sense resistant behavior, they will maybe get defensive and more aggressive. And so your resistance, again, is part of the formula of everything that's going on there and will um, amplify what might be happening. So does that mean you stop resisting? I, I can't answer that question for you, but um, let's just say that what you're resisting are people's words. Let's just say there's no, I don't know if there is or not, any physical abuse. If there's no physical abuse and it's all words, like, you're a piece of crap, you're, you're pathetic, you know, whatever, whatever words are coming your way, then taking that personally and feeling offended by it and saying something back or yelling something back is part of the resistance and part of what keeps the fire burning. But if you were to go, wow, that person has problems. I mean, you do this in your own mind. Wow, that person has problems. And they're trying to make me feel bad by calling me names and saying things about me or my siblings. And I really hope they get better or not, whatever you think. That's a different approach. It's dropping resistance. It's not taking it personally. It's allowing them to be who they are, even if you don't agree with who they are. And just letting them say whatever comes to mind. So again, if I were to approach this professionally, I would explore what you're resisting, what it's all about, what your options are, and um, as far as responses, because like like what I wrote in my book, um, How to Deal with Irrational People, you could actually act as uh, irrational as them and actually gain some rapport, <laughs> actually gain some uh, agreeance or some level of neutrality in the house. Even though it's it might be zany or crazy, if you were to act as crazy as them, well, maybe not as crazy as them, but for example, you said uh, your grandparents. Um, it almost sounds like they live in the house with you, so you might have like a full house here. If your grandparents are preaching uh, Christianity and uh, as prophecy and they're into old school punishment and reinforcement, then what would happen if you just pretended to agree? That's a personal opinion. (laughs) I'm not telling you to do this. I'm just saying what would happen if you agreed just for fun, just for pretend. 
they come at you and say, Jesus is watching you and you're going to hell. And I mean, whatever kind of guilt trip they're putting on you or whatever. What if you said, oh my God, you're right. I'm, I'm going to change my ways. You're right. What would happen then? Not that I'm saying that you believe that's true. I'm just asking you to try it on. How would they behave differently toward you? The thing is, when you're in a situation where you throw up any type of resistance against someone's beliefs, against someone's values, then the more you resist it and are offended by it or take issue with it, verbally especially, the more it exacerbates, the more it amplifies, the more it continues. And if you really are stuck in a house with people that you disagree with, if I were in your shoes and I wanted a more peaceful life, I would just say, you know, you're right. I'm going to start changing my ways. And then I would pretend. <laughs> this is not professional advice. <laughs> this is just something when there's no way out. What can I do to get through it until I'm out? What can I do? It's sort of like, and I hate to use this analogy, but it's really perfect. And it's really important too. Um, it's sort of like when, if a woman was going to be raped, I read this in an article once and I totally agreed with it. And I was like, how come this isn't spread around the world? This is so important. The article said, if you're in a situation with no way out and you're about to be raped, pretend you're enjoying it. Pretend you're getting into it. Pretend it's what you want because what it does is it decreases the aggressiveness because they're usually aggressive to control you. But once they feel that you are controlled, they are less likely to be aware of what you're doing. They are less likely to be um, so forceful. Okay, so step one, you pretend you like it. And I again, I, this is such weird advice, but I actually agree with this. And step two is that when they believe that you actually like this and you want this, that's when the level of control shifts to you because they don't feel any resistance. They're not getting resistant from you. And now they're getting what they wanted in the first place. I'm not saying this works for every single scenario, every single time. But when you're dealing with someone who's just that intent in getting you to submit, and then you do submit, you're more likely to get one over on them. So you pretend you like it, you pretend you're into it, and then you take it to a level where they feel like they're in control. Maybe they'll release their grip on you. Maybe they'll start to trust you, and then you go in for whatever you have to do, whether that's uh, kicking them, punching them, screaming, whatever you need to do, but do it when their guard is down, or at least mostly down. So the analogy is once you stop resisting, you actually start to gain control of a situation. In the case of rape, for example, and like I said, that's pretty extreme, but if you can get someone who's that aggressive, that violent, under your control just by pretending to enjoy it and you're acquiescing and submitting and they think that you're doing exactly what they want you to do, the control baton passes to you and now you can lead what happens next. You can decide what happens next. So that doesn't apply to your particular situation, but it gives you an idea just how much uh, letting go of resistance and even pretending to be on their side 
changes the dynamic of control, changes who's the boss. They may still think they're the boss, but you may have to be a little manipulative so that you can tolerate the situation. This is unorthodox. It's not something I normally tell you to do, to pretend, to lie, to deceive, to manipulate. It's not something I normally tell you to do, but if you're in a no way out situation, you may have to do something like that. You may have to take steps that are uncharacteristically you so that you can get through it and out of it. So Jack, you are in a tough situation. If you really do feel stuck, if you feel like a prisoner in that home and you believe there's no way out, remember the first segment where the ebbs and flows of life, this looks bad now, but there's something good coming. I want you to help that good come along as soon as possible by noticing what behavior you do that creates more resistance, more struggle, more conflict, and easing back on that behavior in yourself so that you can start to gain control. Because resistance is not control. Resistance is giving in to their control. Because if you are offended and you are reacting, and every time you do, it makes your situation worse because they react, guess who has control? It's not you. In fact, it's probably not even them either. It's probably something else. (laughs) But you're both stuck in that loop. And that loop will continue to replay itself as long as you both are attached to the outcome that you want. So you may have to submit a little. You may have to acquiesce a little. You may have to give in a little. I don't know if you do that or not. Maybe you already do. Maybe, like you said, it's so much worse than you describe. And if it is, I go back to my first comment, is get the hell out of that situation if you can and be the leader that you need and that your siblings need because you're not going to be able to accomplish anything while you're in it. And if you have an opportunity to leave, it won't be about abandoning them. It will be about creating a new space for them to be safe in because right now nobody has that safe space. Somebody has to create that safe space. Somebody has to get out of the dangerous, toxic situation and create a safe space so that there's something to go to. If you want to go that route, I don't know. There weren't too many details in this email, so that's all I can give you for now. I hope this helps, and I do want you to have a better life than what you're experiencing now. And yes, this is one of those maybe (laughs) stories. Maybe it's bad, and it probably feels very bad, but let's see where it goes. You've probably been in this for a long time, and you're just waiting for the good to come. But sometimes you have to take steps to make that good happen. You can do this. Hang in there, Jack. We'll be right back with another email. Welcome back to Ask Paul Part 2. This is an opportunity to read another email since we have a little bit of time. And this email is from someone I'll call Bill. Hey, Paul, I'm a longtime listener. I take the information you provided and try to drill down my problem with my wife. That's where I hit a roadblock. Me and my wife have children. We've been married for a number of years, and we both work full-time jobs. So date nights are few. We argue about money, or the lack thereof. She doesn't respect my boundaries and talks down to me. Usually I'm a strong person and I can handle that. She spends money on things that we don't need, and uh, her excuse is that it's for the kids. Then I find stuff that she bought for herself. And she'll say things like, oh, that's old. I bought that a long time ago. I love her and our kids. I'm trying to get us into marriage counseling to help us better communicate. She said that if we do that then we should end the marriage. So I continue to work on me to be a better father for my kids. 
I hope to hear from you soon. Thanks, Bill. All right, Bill, thank you for sharing that. And that's a, that's a tough situation because you have someone that doesn't seem to want to make the marriage better. She thinks that it's probably fine the way it is, or she doesn't think anything's wrong, or uh, the third option is that she doesn't want the marriage to continue, but she wants you to end it. That's reaching. It may not be true, but uh, I've seen that before where someone's in a marriage that they don't want to have anymore, and they're hoping that their partner just ends it instead of them so that they don't have to be responsible for it. The situation that you're describing, especially because she won't go to marriage counseling, tells me that she believes that once you go to counseling, that it's already over. Well, let me ask you this. How do you define marriage? What is important about a marriage? I mean, that would be a good question for her. What is important to you about being married? And how does she respond? Because when I think about the time that I got married, there were several things that were very important. One is that we have a lot of fun together. Two is that we respect each other. Three is that we're honest, that we don't deceive, that we don't betray, we don't lie. Four is that we love each other. I mean, these aren't in particular order. (laughs) Five, six, seven. I mean, all these things for me define a marriage. And when I got married, if there was something that was falling back, then it was discussed. Now, I didn't have a long-term marriage. Ours ended in four years, but I learned a lot about love, and I learned a lot about what I really wanted in a relationship. And even that question, like not even what you want in a marriage, what do you want in a relationship? Like one of the things that you said is that she lies. To me, that indicates uh, a problem in the relationship because if she feels the need to lie to you, then how did that come to be and why did that come to be? Why do you think she feels the need to lie to you? Is it because when she tells you the truth, you go off? Uh, Or is it because she wants to hide things from you because she knows you won't like it or she knows that you have a problem with it? I mean, I don't know the whole story here. It's possible that you get very angry and she doesn't like when you're angry so she doesn't feel safe enough to express things to you. I don't know. Or if that's not the case, she's unhappy in the relationship so she's buying things to make herself happy and uh, she doesn't want to express to you that she's unhappy with you or maybe even falling out of love with you or have fallen out of love with you. That's harsh and I, you probably don't want to hear it. But um, I want you to hear it because... There's a problem in the relationship now. You want to get you and your wife into marriage counseling so that the problems can be resolved. If she doesn't think there's any problem in the relationship, then that's a problem. It's a big problem because you're either both in it together and you're working at it, wanting the best for each other, or one of you is on the way out. And now she could be in denial too. She could just be, I don't want to deal with the idea that I've made this commitment and I have a husband that uh, I may or may not be in love with anymore. But I have kids and I, I need this house and I need the financial support, so I need to stay. There may be that going on. And 
I'm not saying it's true or not, and I don't mean to say this so bluntly, but I want you to hear it because it's vital that one of the first steps that you need to take is just to be clear and honest no matter what the cost. And what I mean by that is if you really believe that she's lying to you about buying things, you can say, I know this is new and I know it's for you. Why are you afraid to share that with me? There's an honest question. She might say, no, 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 I've had that for many, many, many years. And you can say, no, I know that's not true. I mean, if you really do know. No, I, I know that's not true. Why won't you just share with me what you buy? Are you afraid that I'm going to overreact? Tell me the truth. I mean, you might have to be very clear with her. Just tell me the truth. I can take it. I'm a man. And you know what? Watch her expression. Watch her face. I mean, do you think she's hiding something? It's really coming down to a belief that you know there's a problem in the marriage. She might be in denial. Well, I'm going to guess this. She probably is in denial that there's a problem in the marriage because facing that means changing something about her life and also maybe admitting something that she doesn't want to admit, coming to a realization in herself. Because if she has fallen out of love with you, what does that mean? Does that mean divorce? Does she not want to go through that? What will she do next? What is she going to do with the kids? So I want you to have these things in mind so that when you talk to her, you can ask the hard questions. One of those hard questions is, do you still love me? She might say, of course I do. I love you and the kids. And then you can ask the question that I asked at the end of my uh, long-term relationship, and it was very hard is, yes, but are you still in love with me? And wait for the answer. Now, someone who's in extreme denial and hates confronting, you know, doesn't like confrontation, will probably just make something up. There's two ways she'll respond to that. Of course I'm still in love with you. Don't be stupid. Something like that. Or, oh, honey, of course I'm in love with you. I'm just going through a lot right now. I'm, I'm so in love with you. Can you tell the difference? There's a big difference. There's someone who really feels it in their heart. And then there's someone who's just trying to convince you so you can leave them alone. And what response you get uh, might determine where you are in the relationship. So there's something that she's holding on to that she's not sharing with you. That doesn't mean she's like betraying you or anything. I have no clue. It may just mean that she's jaded. She's tired. Maybe she doesn't want to deal with your attitude, your your personality. I don't know what it is. I don't know you from anyone, but only you know. I want you to think into the past when she started doing this. What was going on in your life? What was happening? When you think back to when her behavior changed, when was it? Was it something you were doing? Was it something you were going through? Was it after her first kid? I mean, what happened? And I also want you to focus on what you were doing specifically, how you treated her, where you were working at that time, how you got along at that time. Think of the entire situation at that time when she started changing and something's going to come up. You'll have a realization just like I did when um, my marriage was ending. I had the realization of, oh, wait, when I judge her, she pulls back and her love for me uh, disintegrates. I had that realization only after she fell out of love with me. 
because I never really thought about what am I doing that's making her unhappy. And I want you to think about that. What are you doing that's making her unhappy? I'm not saying that you're the cause for all this. I'm saying that you're a component of it. It's like in technology, there's a transmitter and there's a receiver. (laughs) You can't have one without the other. If you transmit, you need something to receive it. It's like that Zen question of a tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it. Did it actually make a sound? If there's no receiver for the sound, does sound exist? You look at what you've been transmitting in the relationship and what she's been receiving, and it works both ways. What she's been transmitting in the relationship and what you've been receiving, and how were those things uh, taken? How were they responded to or reacted to? And when did your marriage start changing? So my answer to you is that you have to start asking these hard questions. Do you still love me? Are you still in love with me? Do you want this marriage to work? How about this one? If one thing could change that would make you happy, what would it be? And be prepared for a response. Be prepared for the answer. Because she may say something that you don't want to hear. And you can either be resilient and say, thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you. Or you can say, what? That's what you think? You think that? And suddenly uh, she goes into even more denial and now she stops sharing with you because she's scared of your response. There's one of two ways that that could go or one of three or four ways that that could go. But it does involve you asking the hard questions because she's not really doing anything about this. She's trying to avoid whatever it is. And the fact that she thinks marriage counseling is a bad thing and that you should end your marriage tells me that uh, there's probably things that she does not want to reveal. Because if you really want a relationship to work and you really want it to last, then you're going to pursue the path that makes it work best. And... If she knows that you are having a problem and you are unhappy, then you can ask her, will you go to counseling just to make me feel better? And if she says that uh, counseling is the end of marriage, then you can say, I feel like the marriage is over and that's why I want counseling. Now that may go in a loop. (laughs) She might say, well, if it's over, why don't you just ask for a divorce? And if that's the case, then that does sound like she wants it to go in that direction, but she wants you to initiate it. So none of what I'm saying is easy. Uh, None of what I'm saying will be something that uh, solves everything, but it's a start. And um, what she needs is for you to ask the hard questions, the things that you don't want to know the answers to, believe me, because those kinds of questions are what bring up conversation and bring out some hard truths. And I do want you to be prepared because if it's gotten this far and she's not even willing to go to counseling, It is possible that the love has disintegrated for her. That doesn't mean it's over. It just means that there's a reason it happened. And it's going to be helpful for you to know that reason. But you have to give her that safe place to express that if you want this to work out for you. A marriage should be happy. There should be no hiding things. And you may have to bring that up. I know you're hiding things. I know it. If you're not, then let's go to counseling. How about that? (laughs) It's not easy. And you do have a tough road ahead because you might hear some things that you don't want to hear. Be honest with yourself. Ask the questions you don't want to know the answers to and go from there. 
And uh, one thing that I want to address that you mentioned in your uh, email was that she talks down to you and she doesn't respect your boundaries. Uh, I think that needs to stop pretty quickly. In fact, um, if you've heard me say this before, when my girlfriend and I get into it, which is not often, but every now and then, uh, we will have a disagreement about something. And it's always something stupid. (laughs) It's always some miscommunication like, oh, that's what you meant after a half an hour of going back and forth. Uh, Don't be afraid to go, wait, back off. You're disrespecting me or you're disrespecting my boundaries and I don't like it. You might have to do that. And it might set her off. I don't know. But you have to establish, and I can't believe I'm going to use this word. <laughs> you have to establish your manliness. You have to be a man and stand up and go, I have boundaries and you're crossing them. Or you don't have to use those words, but whatever boundaries she's crossing. Like, I deserve to be respected and you're disrespecting me. She might yell at you. She might go off on you. But you still bring it back to go, no, let's talk about this respectfully. If you can't talk about this respectfully, I don't want you violating my boundaries and I don't want you to talk down at me. I'm an adult and so are you. Let's talk about this in a respectful, healthy way. You might have to start standing up for yourself because one of the things that uh, caused my marriage to go down the hill was because I, I wasn't standing up for myself. I actually did not talk back to her. I thought being nice and keeping the peace was the best way to go. But she saw that as a very childish attribute in me. She did not see me as a man, as an adult. She saw me as a child. And the more she felt like she was with a child, the less secure she was with me. And if your wife feels that way with you, if she does not feel secure because she thinks that you're a child and you don't stand up for yourself, it doesn't get any better. It only gets worse and it's going to wear her down and, and the love will disintegrate. Being the man, being the adult, not just a man, being the adult, standing up for yourself and honoring yourself and being okay with doing that and letting her know when she's crossing your boundaries. Believe it or not, most people, if not all, respect that. How could you not respect someone for honoring themselves? And if she doesn't respect it, it's because you've been a pushover, you've been a doormat in the relationship or something like it. So it may be a transition period for you to start honoring yourself. And you know what? Listen to my episodes on uh, personal boundaries and and choosing to be the adult or the child uh, in situations. I've got uh, two or three episodes on that. Look for those. That's going to help you in this case. So if and that could be where this all stems from. I don't know. But hopefully I've given you enough to work with and I wish you the best. I want I want this to work out for all of you and send me an update sometime. Anyway, thanks, Jack. I appreciate you. Thank you again for sharing that. And uh, thank you for listening to this episode. We'll be right back. Say some more thank yous and end the show. Back in a minute. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. All right, to end the show, I'm going to end it on a positive note here. I always end it on a positive note, I think. <laughs> but this is uh, an email from a listener who says, I wanted to encourage you. I've been going through a crisis for several months now. My husband had an affair. I was crushed. I started digging for knowledge and empowerment to get out of that crushing emotional pain I was in. I stumbled onto your podcasts. They've helped me more than you know. Here are some things that I have applied to my life. And uh, as I read these, I'm going to comment on them. Are you ready? One, nurture myself. 
Absolutely. I'm going to call you um, Becky. Absolutely, Becky. When you nurture yourself, what you're doing is essentially saying, Hey, self, I love you. I want you to be happy. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to make sure you know that you're worthy and that you are absolutely important and that no matter what anybody does to you, I know you're a good person. I know that you're absolutely wonderful to be with, that you're loving and kind and lovable. And I want to show you that you are significant. You are important to me. And so, yes, number one, nurture yourself. Good call, Becky. (laughs) Number two is I have learned to meditate and visit my inner child. That has really helped. Absolutely. Visit your inner child. I do this myself. Whenever there's something I can't get over, uh, like an emotional trigger or something going on in my life, if I just can't get past it, I close my eyes and imagine myself visiting myself as a child and asking, hey, what do you need? And my child will tell me. That child that I, that I used to be, that I still carry around with me today. If you don't know what that inner child is, just imagine something that made you cry or something that made you laugh or something that got you angry. Any extreme of emotion. You learned that in childhood. You learned how to get angry. You learned how to be happy. You learned how to laugh. You learn how to cry. Whatever that is, whatever emotions that happen today typically stem from the point in time when you learned how to do it. So in Becky's case, she might have felt betrayal and abandonment and rejection and all this awful feeling stuff. So she went back to her inner child and probably said, hey, what do you need? Her child said, I I need a hug. What else do you need? And then she had this conversation and, uh, I really like this process. I use it with my coaching clients every now and then uh, when it's needed. And it's very helpful. So another good call, Becky. Number three, learning personal boundaries. That's top of my list. I just mentioned it on this show. I probably mention it on every other show, if not every show. I've had clients come to me and say, I didn't even know what personal boundaries were until I listened to your show. And I'm like, well, I'm so glad to hear that you now know what they are or are learning about them because, and this is one of the first uh, topics in my book, The Overwhelmed Brain, is that as you learn personal boundaries, other things in your life start to happen. Your life starts coming together more and more. You start standing up for yourself. This is definitely in relation to number one about nurturing yourself. You are nurturing yourself. It's like that um, scenario that I painted in several of my episodes where there's a little child standing on the sidewalk and you're standing back about 20 feet, seeing the child facing the road, and a van pulls up, opens the door, and there's three suspect-looking fellows in there, and they are motioning for her to get in the van. And then I would ask you, what would you do? And you might think, well, do they know her? But you can see her starting to tremble or shake her head no or look around for someone to help her. What would you do? Most people, if not everyone listening right now, would probably walk or run over and ask the child if everything's okay. Do they know these people? And maybe even pick her up and get her away from that, what seems to be a very dangerous situation. And I use this analogy with personal boundaries. And the idea is to uh, see that little girl or that little boy, whatever you envision, 
as you and that you as an adult are standing back 20 feet from that child and you see this happening. Like I think of uh, me as a little boy standing on the sidewalk in this van pulling up and I'm like, I don't know anybody in that van. I don't remember this. What's going on? And if that child was me, you can guarantee I'm going to risk life and limb running over there, grabbing my little child and running away, getting out of the danger zone. That's what I feel about personal boundaries is that you are protecting that child in you, that sensitive, vulnerable child that needs protecting, that needs to know that you love you, that you love that person inside of you kind of strange talking about inner child stuff because you are talking to you you are protecting you but uh, it's a great way to look at it it's a great way to stand up for yourself so when that time comes along when you want to say no but you might say yes just because you don't want to cause any trouble remember that you're denying that little child the protection that he or she needs so you stand up and say no I don't want to do that Or no, you can't talk to me like that. Or whatever the no is. Because you're protecting that vulnerable child inside of you. So that was number three. Let's go to number four. Take time away and heal emotionally. Become more self-aware. Becky, that's a great one. Take time away and heal emotionally. We're so embroiled and enmeshed in everything that's going on around us. We get stuck in our phones, in our tablet computers, uh, with TV politics that when do we connect with ourselves when do we take a quiet moment and connect with ourselves i'm not saying you have to meditate (laughs) i'm saying that every now and then uh, it's good to just maybe sit in nature and just sit take time to heal that's a great suggestion and she says become more self-aware I think as you reconnect with yourself, you do become more self-aware. You get away from everything that influences you and just be with yourself. And you know that might mean the only way to do it is to sit in the bathroom for 10 minutes. (laughs) I remember I used to have to do that with a full house of people. The only way to get away was to bring and this is probably too much information (laughs) to bring a book into the bathroom Or just be in the bathroom because I knew that that would be the only place I that no one could walk in and say, hey, I need something from you. Although I did do that at work once. I went to the bathroom and I couldn't even leave my desk for five minutes without somebody looking for me, saying my phone was ringing. You better get back there. And I'd be like, I'm in the bathroom, man. (laughs) Will you give me five minutes? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, then don't come looking for me in the bathroom. Just wait for me to return. <laughs> so that's neither here nor there. But I wanted to thank Becky for that um, excellent advice. And uh, she said, you have been so vulnerable and honest with your listeners. It has helped me to grow. And right now I'm working through things. I know a breakthrough is on the horizon. Thank you, Paul. Your audience is here. We are listening and you are making an impact on the world and making it a better place one person at a time. With much gratitude, um, including the fake name, Becky. I appreciate you, Becky. Thank you so much. And with that, let me give you my suggestions. And that is to go into the world with an open mind and step into your power. And be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. 
always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true, 100%, you are amazing.